Hello there. That was a lovely polished hello there, Lloyd. Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to really think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time poor but enthusiasm rich primary teachers. This week, I'm joined by Christopher Such. Hello again. And Lloyd Williams Jones. Hello there. And together, we're going to explore support for middle leaders. But first, Chris, what are you reading for? What are you reading for? This week, I read a paper called Development of Language by Hand and its Connection with Language by Ear, Mouth and Eye by Berninger from the year 2000. And it, it, it's, it's a wonderful paper that looks at the connections, as the title suggests, between reading, writing and spoken language development beautifully written really clear one of these papers that summarizes lots of stuff that's come before so it's a lovely introduction to this area but the reason it stands out for me and the reason why i definitely want to talk about this one today is just one particular quote which is this and it says a myth exists among some educators that spelling is just a matter of memorizing a series of letters our research has shown that learning to spell is a matter of the mind's ear learning to communicate with the mind's eye. And I think if you write something quite that clear and elegant, you're allowed to just retire. You're just done. It's like, yep, yeah, mic drop, gonna, you know, off to the Seychelles. Beautiful um, paper itself, but there are lots of really nice lines like that where they just crystallize something quite complicated into something quite memorable. So yeah, highly recommend that one. What about you, Lloyd? What are you reading for? I've actually been reading a blog, uh, Coaching uh, and Diagnosis, uh, Part 2, by Josh Goodrich. So the, he's done a series of blogs on uh, Step Lab, Lab Notes, part of the website. And it's, it's, a really, it's a really interesting blog, actually, because I know coaching is, is still, you know, one of those areas where there's been lots of talk, lots, lots of talk around it. And... Um, Lots of schools are trying to implement instructional coaching and so on and models of that. And I know it's, it features in the walkthroughs and all, you know, all, all sorts of areas of, uh, and, and in the MPQs, you know, I'm, I'm sort of going through it myself as well. Uh, but it's a really interesting blog. I think he, he, start to, he starts to really sort of unpack this, this sort of deeper level of diagnosis when looking at sort of problems in coaching, like when we're trying to diagnose what it, what it is a teacher needs, uh, depending on the, the expertise of the teacher. And he talks about something called change sequences, which, which I, which I kind of liked. Um, and so he broke it down into, into, into two areas. So it was like, first of all, identification of the area. So a learning problem um, and, and teaching goals. So separating those two things and then going through this kind of stepped action route, if you will, um, which considered, um, and I'll just reel this off, teacher knowledge, then teacher action, which then influences student knowledge which then influences student action. And that sequence of steps, he called a, a change sequence. And, and he, he really dives into the idea of a, a kind of coaching curriculum, if you will. And, and this idea of trying to, you know, I know, um, is it Paul Bambrick Santayo 
says about picking the highest sort of um, action leverage uh, action point. But is, is, you know, it is a really complicated, nuanced thing, isn't it, instructional coaching? And actually, depending on the expertise of, of the teacher and uh, of the person being coached, uh, and the mentor for that, for that matter, and the, the coach themselves, uh, it depends on how that, how you put together that that sequence of change, so that it's something that is lasting and kind of a, a broader picture. And I, kn I know instructional coaching has really narrowed things down to clean, clear, small chunks. But if this doesn't fit a bigger curriculum, a bigger picture, it, it, then I could see how that kind of could be problematic. And, and this was a really interesting blog that explored that, pulled that apart. Josh does a great job of writing really clearly about this. It made me think about the ECF and about how the mentors who are doing the coaching on, e on, the, on, on, on you know, with ECF, with ECF and ECTs, do they see that bigger change sequence? I know they can see it laid out, but do they understand the change sequence and its implications? I don't know. It, it made me really think about that. Uh, and I'll just finish by saying he said, you know, he talks about the model of responsive coaching, but actually this went into responsive diagnosis. And I thought I was really smart about like how you respond to what problems you see, not necessarily what the teacher has done. Yeah, very good blog. Josh is a very smart guy when it comes to coaching. So definitely check that out. Kieran, what are you reading for? Mine is one, Chris, that I shared with you a while ago. It's called Concrete Computer Manipulatives by Julie Sarama and Douglas Clements. It was a starting point for me when I wanted to think about the essence of concrete manipulatives in the classroom and sort of the reasons why. And, you know, it's, it's really well referenced although most of the references are quite difficult to come by because a lot of them are sort of behind the paywall on the nctm you know in america and but there there was this concept they talk about called integrated concrete knowledge and essentially it's concrete knowledge that's connected to other pieces of knowledge and i think if anyone's interested in going down this route this is where i this is these are the sources i've been following because you know we've got things like MathSpot that we talk about all the time. And it's almost looking, well, okay, here's some research in that area that sort of makes us question what we mean when we say concrete. You know, and I haven't found all the answers or any answers yet, to be fair, but I think it's a really good starting off point. You know, I think we do need to take into consideration, you know, why the piece has been written and who the intended audience is, but there's a lot of good stuff there. And a lot of, not, not conjecture, they have proposed a number of key ideas. And then they've said here, you can look at research in this area, you know, here's five or six papers you can check and then you can go down a wormhole. And yeah, I really like that because then I can really sort of see where some, some of the greatest minds in the field of early mathematics are focusing their attention. Yeah, so I think it was, it was a really good jumping off point for hopefully some of the talks I'm gonna do over the spring and summer in. Uh, you know, different, different conferences and things, you know, but at the minute I'm stuck in a rabbit hole. So then the focus of this episode requested by Tom Oakley, who is both in our discord and supporter on Kofi. And he asked about how we could support middle leaders. And I think certainly in our prep conversations, it's essential that we define the role of middle leaders and perhaps their reason for existence. 
So if I throw it to you, Chris, how would you define middle leadership? It's a tricky beast at primary level, isn't it? I mean, at secondary level, you're talking um, subject leaders, you're talking um, perhaps year group leaders on a pastoral level. That's, that's, you know, your middle leaders are quite clearly defined. I know that when I first entered primary education and the schools that I worked in, it seemed to be the case that your middle leadership were people who were in charge of either a key stage or a couple of year groups, or then it was that, you know, your maths coordinator or your English coordinator, they were considered like your, your bedrock of middle leadership. I'm not so sure that it's quite so um, well-defined anymore. I think it's a bit more fluid because of perhaps changes to the way that different parts of the curriculum are prioritized. There are now new roles. So often assistant head teachers might be thought of as senior leaders. So they might be thought of as middle leaders, et cetera. So I think really the best way to think about it rather than, you know, what's the, what's the title that they have? It's thinking about what is it that makes these positions unique and difficult. And I think what makes a middle leader kind of by definition from the name that's in there, what makes a middle leader a middle leader is the fact that they're having to share ideas with classroom teachers, kind of like lower than them in the school hierarchy, if you want to put it in those terms. But at the same time, they're having to express things up the school hierarchy towards usually a deputy head or a head teacher and or a head teacher. So they're kind of caught between two different aspects of um, the school hierarchy. And I think that's the central idea. And that's pass partially, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, what makes those roles particularly challenging and particularly important in a school. Chris summed it up quite nicely there. I, I mean, you know, a middle leader, in my, in my opinion, is, is someone who are outside of the classroom that they teach ha has influence in the school, like in some way. So has, has a wider influence, be that via a subject, via a phase leader post, via some, some, some other sort of leadership role, but they have an influence um, on their colleagues, you know, the, who, who are maybe just like Chris said, uh, practitioners, or, you know, you know on, on, on more senior levels of, of staff. Now, like, like I said, we'll unpack it later, I'm sure, how much influence they have is, is obviously contested and and i guess that's what we're, we're going to really get into today and 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 how i guess to to harness that influence as well uh is, is another uh important consideration but i, th I think generally speaking as, as a definition goes i think chris was was spot on there yeah what is, what constitutes success or efficacy at the level of middle leadership i mean i think a really important thing to know from the off is and, and again, this is possibly just my perspective on this, um, particularly given who I now work for. But the, I, we have to be careful not to start talking about, I think, generic leadership skills that just apply to anything, regardless of whether you're the you know, maths coordinator or head of upper key stage two or whatever it may be. You know, if we think back to the science conversation that we had a long time ago, when we were talking about how to be an effective science lead or science coordinator we were talking about the science cupboard and we were talking about working scientifically statements and all of that stuff so it's the first thing to note is that whatever domain it is that you are leading across you need to know about that domain you need to have experience and a, a mental model that 
allows you to understand that domain to a high level and to make efficient decisions. Putting all that to one side, though, it's I think it's still worth noting that there are certain capacities that effective middle leaders do share. I would say the first of these is the idea that, I, again, this is personal experience, but I've the middle leaders that I've worked with that have been really good have performed the role of both like a sieve and an umbrella. And when I say a sieve, I mean the information that they're receiving from the senior leadership, everything that they're understanding isn't all in every bit of detail being transmitted to the class, classroom teachers. The stuff that really matters, the stuff that they need to know, that's what's arriving. And that, that role of kind of selecting and, and making sure that that information is clear is essential. On the umbrella side of things, there are also occasions where effective middle leaders are just saying, you know what, this teacher doesn't need, to, doesn't need any extra information right now. They're struggling with X, Y, and Z, or they're working extra hard on A, B, and C. And so they just need to be, for this week, protected from whatever it is that's coming down the line. That can wait for them. So that's kind of the sieve and the umbrella side of things. I'd say also that something that's essential to leadership generally, like a, a habit to develop within leadership, is that sense of diplomacy. I think it's especially important in uh, middle leaders and especially difficult for middle leaders because they're often quite new to leadership. So this idea of no longer being able to have those casual gripes about, see, about senior leaders that you might do in the staff room when you're a classroom practitioner because you are now that conduit between senior leadership and um, regular classroom practice, you, you're, you now have that ability or more of, more of a scope to talk with senior leaders and to have your voice heard, that kind of griping that we all kind of do sometimes as classroom teachers, that has to be minimized because you are now between these two roles. So the little things like, you know, you say to a member of staff, yeah, I know it's coming from SLT. I don't think it's a particularly good idea either, but that can't happen. That, that You're no longer in a role to really be saying that stuff without undermining colleagues both who are, you know, SLT and the classroom practitioners themselves. I've mentioned clarity. Uh, I'm going to mention it again because I think it's essential. I mean, as a middle leader, as well as transmitting information as clearly as possible, you are having to ask lots of clarifying questions. Often middle leaders are the ones in staff meetings, I find, who are taking responsibility for asking the questions like, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Ready to talk about that with, with their team, or to talk about that with teaching assistants or whoever it may be. So kind of both sides of clarity, both making sure they understand something clearly and then are ready to transmit it clearly is um, a big deal. I mean, there's loads more stuff I could say. The last one, though, off the top of my head now is like walking the walk, like doing the stuff that you say needs to be done. You have to model that. There's, there, there's just, you just have to be... I mean, obviously, you want to be doing that as a classroom teacher anyway. You want to be doing everything to the, to the best of your possible... the best possible ability that you have. But as a middle leader, you have to be showing that you are kind of towing the line even when there are circumstances where you think that maybe x y and z isn't exactly the way to do things you know i completely agree with with everything you said there and i'll, I'll probably just build on it a little bit middle leadership and i guess we'll you know 
we'll come on to this later, I, I would imagine, in, in terms of support of middle leadership and what have you. But, but like you said, the, the best middle leaders I've worked with, and I'm currently working with really, have this understanding of application. Like, like Chris said, they have an understanding of, of the application. So when they are asking those questions, and they are the ones to ask those questions in, they, they very much have a working knowledge uh, on the ground of what is what the real often what the real situation is on the ground and how it's applied and I think as leaders as senior really senior leaders and leaders that are potentially trying to implement this stuff potentially non-classroom based or less teaching have less teaching demand you just can't see it you can't see those little things that those middle leaders can they can see it and they feel it and they live and breathe it, which is why Chris said it, you know, about them asking those questions. They ask them because they can see that how it will potentially conflict with something that's going on on the ground. And I think that that's that's good middle leadership for me is that people, you know, people who are spotting that stuff and going, hang on. But, 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 but again, the way in which that's raised is done carefully. It's done in a way which doesn't undermine the, the hierarchy. It, it's it's cautious it's, it's measured but it, it it probes and it asks like you say it asks for clarification like Chris said it comes back to clarification and that side of things is, is invaluable it's an invaluable tool as a middle leader because good good senior leaders will recognize that in their middle leaders they won't they will recognize that not as challenge uh, and not as uh dissonance and breaking off and and, and just sort of trying to do their own thing they see it as oh yeah that's a really smart thing that we've overlooked and and actually i relish that stuff when when my staff pick that stuff out i'm like brilliant I, i'm so glad you spotted that you know in the same way we would say to children oh i'm so glad you've made that mistake you know because it's not everybody else doing it it's kind of the same vein you know it's that idea of like i want to know i can't see this stuff you can I want to hear it like so um i think that that that's really that's really important and, and and i think that for that to happen the it I, i'll coin a phrase which i heard on um clubhouse clubhouse i can't remember i, I want to say it was carly waterman potentially that said this i think it was if, um i'll have to we'll have to look up the the, the, who the quote was attributed to but i think she's the term stru the structural acoustics of a school which, which I think did, did was was, re, was quoted a few times on Twitter, and, and, and I think that's what it comes down to: is, is your structural that is important for middle leaders? Is are the structural acoustics right in your school so that it's you, they're able to be heard and they're able to feel like they can have that platform to, to speak to, so they can clarify and so that they can they can have that contribution and be that effective role that we need them to be. I think you mentioned that in your season three episode, Lloyd. When we're talking about school leadership so yeah that makes a lot of sense that you're sort of revisiting the idea now the only thing i would add is consistency and the idea that effective middle leadership happens day in day out at every possible opportunity that you have you know because time's a massive premium and i know lots of schools are very lucky they can afford to support their, their leaders in having time to spend with colleagues. But I find the less core a subject is, you know, the fewer opportunities there are. I don't know if that's a, an unfair generalization, but certainly my experience, for instance, the computing lead might see much, much less time out 
than the mathematics of the, of the English leads. And so making sure that you are talking to people in the staff room, you know, in between meetings, you know, because there's a bit of dead time at the start of meetings. There's often quite a bit of time at the end of meetings. And I think if you're making your subject something that people are talking about, even if it's just a little bit each day, then at least they're they're talking about it, you know, because if if I introduce something on the first Monday staff meeting, or the first Tuesday staff meeting, and then I don't mention it again for the rest of the term, nothing's going to have happened with that subject. And so it's it's about being creative, you know, and in an ideal world, we'd all have 16 hours out of the class to work on our subjects, but we need to be teaching, you know, more than we are out, I think. Um, and so, yeah, but so it's about, it's about how can we find the ways to be consistent and to make sure that our, our plate is continually spinning, you know, so that because, like I said, if you mention it once, then what gets pushed gets prioritised. You know, I remember when I was full time in the classroom, if people didn't push it, it was going to the bottom of my very, very, very long list of things to think about. Just reflecting on what Lloyd said a moment ago, he was talking about um, how middle leaders keep track of, they know what the real situation, that was the phrase you used. And I think that works both ways. And again, this speaks to how difficult it is to be an effective middle leader, because while they are understanding kind of what's going on on the ground and communicating that to senior leaders, they're also having to like go the other way in that they're having to think more about the bigger picture on behalf of senior leadership team when they're communicating with classroom teachers. So it's almost like um, they're having to communicate realism up, up, the, up the school hierarchy and idealism um, towards class teachers. So yeah, I think that's um, how I'd like, how I'd put it. I think just one of the things that I hadn't mentioned and it seems like a silly thing, but I don't think it is. And again, it comes from me listening to um, a Tadape episode earlier on with Cassie Young. She said uh, she was talking about organization and it was fascinating because I, she was, I saw a lot of myself in what she said in this little bit because she said I wasn't organized when I arrived in the classroom, but I recognized that and she started doing things related to that. So she would always, she'd live by her diary. She knew that that had to be done to a high standard in order to make sure that things worked. Now, in her case, she was talking about the role of a Senko, but I think the case it's true for middle leaders that you have to be organized. And if that isn't something that comes naturally to you, then you need to have things in place that make that a habit, like use of a diary, use of Google Calendar or whatever it might be. So yeah, I think not letting things slip on an organizational level is way more important for a middle leader than it is for a classroom teacher still important for a classroom teacher but as a middle leader as soon as other people are relying on you to be or other classroom teachers are relying on you to be organized and um, it becomes that much more important yeah they should they should perhaps teach that at university because i think i was 22 by the time i realized that i needed to write stuff down i'm sure i've mentioned this before and certainly anybody who's listening and who worked with me in the early 2000s will be will be thinking yeah we remember when you weren't that organized Kieran. <laughs> but yeah but now if it's not written down if it's not in the diary well it's not happening so then i think moving on to the to the bulk of the episode how can we support our middle leaders to become highly effective 
You've already alluded to it, Kieran. One of your biggest currencies is time. And like you said, we need our, we need our middle leaders teaching. We do. So we can't possibly release all of our middle leaders, you know, uh, at once. And, and, and there's, there's an awful lot of um, stretch and schools in different situations that have different capacities to be able to release schools. What I would argue for in, 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 sen- in the sense of supporting middle leaders and sort of having gone through that experience in the last sort of couple of years, it's important that leadership teams, and I mean senior leaderships, like heads and deputies, are, are strategic about how they release middle leaders because middle leaders are extremely time poor. We're all time poor. Middle leaders are very, very time poor. They have an awful lot of classroom demand. And then they're obviously trying to run subjects or run phases and do it effectively. Now, I'm going to speak now from, from a subject angle, because I think that's another clarification. Is, you know, we, 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 We're talking about influence here. We could be talking about phase leaders. We could be talking about a uh, humanities lead. I'm going to have the sort of subject lead hat on to just answer this bit. And I, I don't know, Chris, maybe one might want to add uh, a bit of a wider scope uh, uh, later. But one of the things I think is, is really, really important, and, and Nick Hart talked about this really astutely, I think last week or the week before on the podcast, about this idea of spotlighting, uh, spotlighting um, subjects and making sure that you have a strategic sort of plan for development of, of, of those middle leaders and how to support them to do it. And, and what he says in that, and, and this is something that is really, really important, is that the, those, those subjects or leaders, middle leaders that are in the spotlight, like you said, what, what is developed is, you know, is, being, is being done in the classrooms. You can't do everything. You need to be frugal. Like you, you can't be chasing all the rabbits. But at the same time, you can't let the plates drop and I said, this is why he says about those subjects and those leaders are waiting in the wings, ready. There's someone backstage just making sure that they're ready to go on. They're ready to step into the light when they need to step into the light. And I suppose for, for me, in my place, it was it, this took the form of, of, of a phased curriculum development approach, whereby we looked at sort of having three phases through a development uh, plan. And those I picked up the, the, the sort of the spotlight leaders and worked with them. And we carved out, like really carved out a lot like time. We had like a, a really flexible afternoon slot every week to work with those leaders. Like, and the leaders that were in the spotlight or in the phase one of development, for example, had more time because it, it was, it was, you know, it was their time to, to really get on with that development. And what's, what's important to say here though, is losing my head was then on, uh, picking up all those other subjects and working with them in a, in a sort of smaller capacity, not as much time as the other, because you, you can't, you know, if we're going to be realistic about it, you, you simply can't throw all the time at everybody. You have to do this. If you're going to make traction with developing these leaders, you have to have some sort of, some sort of strategy to doing it. Now, I'm not saying for one minute that, that what I'm suggesting is the thing to do. It's an approach that I took. Would I change it? Probably, yeah. There were some things that I would tweak and change, but it served as, as a really useful model to be able to have that weekly time with a, with, a, with a spotlight middle leader and really help them understand, like Chris said, the, the bigger picture, help them really buy into what the overall kind of vision is. 
And, and, and getting middle leaders to, to do that, be that the computing leader, the DT leader, whoever it is, see how their subject fits your curriculum or, you know, see how, it, you know, if you're thinking about a phase leader, how their phase fits the school. It's about bringing that clarity to the overall picture. The, the currency there is, is time. Spend that, right, that time carefully, and, and, but you, you have to do some heavy lifting to create that time for them to spend it. And, and I think without doing that, expecting middle leaders to just get on with it after school on a Tuesday or a Thursday all the time, I think can be a bit naive. To, if you want quality, you have to invest time. Just going almost back a step to before the stuff you're talking about there, I think one of the best things we can do to support middle leaders is to make sure that they're right for the job in the first place. No, that sounds really obvious, but there are exceptions to this. There are cases where you'll put someone as a leader in key stage one and they've not taught in key stage one before and they will thrive because you allow them the opportunity to develop the domain specific knowledge that they need. But generally speaking, you want to have middle leaders wherever possible who do have some of that domain specific knowledge. You do want to not just think, oh, they're generally capable. So that's, you know, I'll give them a, a the, that middle leadership position. It needs to really be people who know about the stuff they're going to lead on. Obvious thing to say, but it hasn't always uh, come about um, in schools that I've worked in and experienced. I would say another thing to note is and it's hard uh, to do this sometimes to kind of seed some of that control but as a senior leader your middle leaders are there for a reason they're there because you want them to take something on board themselves to take responsibility for it and that means that there are going to be occasions where you they, they take something they run with it and it isn't done in exactly the way that you had visualized or in the way that you would have done it yourself and it's it's hard to let go of that but you have to accept that if you if middle leaders are sometimes going to go way beyond your expectations and do something that you couldn't possibly have visualized, which is which happens and is an incredibly satisfying part of being a senior leader, you have to accept that the, the other side of that coin is that sometimes they're going to experiment with something, try something, and it isn't going to work. There has to be room for a little bit of productive failure uh, in, in what's going on. Now, Obviously, we have to be safeguarding outcomes while, we're, while that's happening, but there has to be a little bit of room for experimentation. There has to be room for you to step back, let them take something on, let them take charge of something. And that, and that can be difficult to do as a senior leader, but well worth happening. I'd say beyond that, clear expectations of what you want from them in all sorts of circumstances. So if you are just putting something in place as a senior leader, and you really want lots of constructive feedback on that, make that really apparent. Say, I want constructive feedback on this. How is this working on the ground, et cetera, et cetera. Or it might be the case that you don't want constructive feedback on that immediately. You want to give it a couple of weeks or a couple of months, whatever it is, to bed in. And you say to them, keep an eye on this, take a note of what's working, what isn't, and we'll talk about this um, later. Being, being really clear of your expectations. And that relates back to this idea of, you know, the diplomacy that's required um, of a middle leader. I think something that ties into that as well is when they first get the job, I think sitting them down and saying to them, okay, if you're, let's imagine six months, months from now, and this has worked really well. 
why? Why did this work really well? How did I support you? So find out how they want to be supported. Find out what sort of things push their buttons in a bad way and what kind of things help them to thrive just by having a conversation from the very beginning that's, that gives them the chance to say, you know what, when, I, when, I, when my workload gets a bit too much, I struggle to, to tell anyone because I'm, I'm worried that people will think I'm lazy, which is something I always um, worried about. And having, that, having those conversations where people can open up a little bit, maybe express some of their insecurities, and you can work out why um, a relationship uh, in leadership might not work and then preempt that, that can obviously be um, really valuable. I think back to the times that I've been most successful as a middle leader. Knowing exactly what success looks like has been, has been essential, like you say, Chris, because then I feel like, okay, I can get on with this, you know, because I was talking to some reasonably, you know, senior leaders like in, you know, CEOs, deputy CEOs like Amy, and the CEO of a trust won't have the time to do, to put as much effort in as Lloyd will, as deputy head, you know, in that circumstance. So you need this two-way trust where they trust you to be articulate, to be in possession of a vision for where you want things to go over the next four years and to you know to trust that you have the the capacity to share that with with the teaching staff and in return they will trust you just to get on with it to an extent i think and as, as you said that chris was thinking yeah when i know what I'm, I'm expected to do that's when i can be most effective and i think perhaps it might be worth and I'm thinking, were possible, if someone who is actually in senior leadership were to have oversight of how things ran on that mid-level of leadership, then you almost streamline how those processes you guys outline work in practice. You know, because that person can see, okay, they're the person with the spotlight. They're the person who decides which subjects need to be brought in, which, which, which are fine spinning at the side. And then equally, they're the gatekeepers to that knowledge that you guys are talking about because they can have the subscription to the Geography Association and they can be skimming, you know, well, this looks like it's really pertinent to us, passing it on, you know, or this, this, this podcast was really good, listen to this one, you know, because... We've, we've mentioned previous episodes quite a bit tonight, but one thing that really stood out when I've been interviewing leaders recently, like um, John Hutchinson and Nick Hart, when we talked about curriculum and who has ultimate oversight, they all described a situation where one person, potentially the head of school, had complete oversight. But I So I think if you have someone who, in a similar situation, not necessarily focused on curriculum, but on all the things that perhaps accompany curriculum, like phases, like subjects and then they control it i think that opens up a space in which you can support your schools in flourishing because i look at you lloyd and i see you're doing that kind of role but you're also doing the operational stuff and you're also got the big vision for how we can improve teaching and learning across the school you know and i think if you had someone take the operational stuff and take that, you know, do correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm talking about your specific situation, then that frees you up 
you know, you've done wonderful stuff. You know, I think hopefully by the time this goes out, there will be a record of how wonderful a job you guys have done over the last 18 months. You know, Lucy, maybe just more than two years. But imagine what you could do if you weren't sorting cover and you weren't sorting duties. I, I don't really have much to add to what you guys have said because you've covered all my big, big things, you know, like time, like um, the support that people need. But I think the difference maker where possible might be having someone to create that space. In my head, you've almost got like this biome that opens up and everybody exists under this dome and, you know, like a greenhouse or whatever, and things start to flourish. You know, that's what I'm imagining. It's really hard to get that across. But I think, yeah, that, that would be my one piece for how we can support them the most is, is making that a priority in school. Listen, I, I, you're, you're I think you're absolutely right. In, in, in a sense of that oversight, it is a, uh, that oversight of the leaders and um, it is, 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 is really important. It's really important. And you're right. A lot of that operational, the operational side of, of a deputy head role is, is pretty, it's pretty high. It's been pretty high in the last, <laughs> the last term as well, to say the least. It's probably the highest it's, it's ever been. Um, but yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm sure there's many, many deputy heads listening that would, uh, would agree that with that and, and other leaders for that matter, to be quite honest with you. But you're right. I think, I was thinking about it the other day, and I can't remember who I was talking to, but I think this the, the way I sort of thought about it was, it's like if two people had a conversation, it, it's almost like a conversation between my, myself as, a, as an overall strategic curriculum lead or whatever, and, and, and my middle leaders. And like, if everybody brings it, tries, tries to bring their topic to the conversation, you, you never get anywhere with the conversation, which is why I think it's, it's like you described it, it it's, it's that role. It's your job to bring what we're going to talk about to the table. That's how kind of how I looked at it. It was like, and what, I, and that for me was our strategic curriculum development plan. It was like, I kind of mapped out where we want to go and the the the, the why and the principles and and the kind of ideas for all the different subjects and go. This this is these are the like fundamental things that I think are important because if you don't have that, you don't. To go back to the analogy you don't have anything to talk about because you, you're trying to vie for ideas. And if, if it's if it's a middle leader going, well, I think this, well, I think that, well, I think, and there's no one pulling all that together. It's just, everything's flying around. No one can, we can't hold a conversation with each other. If I come and go, we're talking about this, but we're talking about it. This is not me telling you, this is what, this is our conversation because curriculum is a conversation. And we go, right, you're, you're a middle leader. I'm, I'm a senior leader. Let's talk. Now, when I came to creating that strategic curriculum development plan, one of the first things I thought about was, yeah, okay, the principles, take the humanities, for example. Let's take the principles of that. Like, what, what do I need to do here? What do I want my middle lead? What do I want my humanities lead here to get from this? Well, I want to talk to her. I want to spend a lot of time with her talking about the active ingredients that are going to make changes. And you're part of that. You're part of that conversation. I can't tell you this. You're part of this. I'll help. I'll guide. And like, like Kieran said, I'll be I'll be a, a sort of a, a gatekeeper, if you will, to, to channel you to certain places and resources and things and people. But I want you to talk to me about what you think these active ingredients are in terms of what's going to get the biggest change from your subject leadership and your leadership, your, your, middle, your middle leadership. So that was a massive part. That construction of our phases, the phase one, we set out the active ingredients for that subject and went, what do we want? What What, what is this? And it took a long time. It took, it took, you know, I took a lot of conversation, which 
which we put into place. We put that time, we go back to that time again. We put the time in, the time that I could spend with those leaders to go, you know, what, let's, here's the conversation, let's talk. And nail down that stuff. Because once you do that, you, it was really interesting. You know, you start to see people really, you can see people really flourish, you know, and start to own that conversation and be like, well, yeah. And, you know, and they're linking things up and they're drawing things and goes, actually, I've seen this thing. You know, you empower them to start to connect to the bigger picture, like Chris was saying. They start to connect to the wider view of the vision of that curriculum development. And that's powerful. And that's really... It's not easy. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of um, logistics uh, in terms of uh, uh, heavy lifting and how you organize your, your school. But blimey, it's worth it. Like, you know, and, and, and I've seen results from that model. Um, I, like I said, I'm not saying that it'll work everywhere. It, it's, it's one idea of, of an approach towards helping middle leaders to get better. But I think my middle leaders have benefited from it and are benefiting from it. Uh, from that approach so but you are right the operational side of the job really does like ooh, you know it, it takes a lot from you you know so which is why it's ever so demanding to try and create that climate and that culture for improvement and for empowerment of, of middle leaders in that way so what happened if a middle leader is struggling you know to affect change or to stay on top of their workload because you know, you've already alluded to being sort of right for the the role or, or having the capacity for the role what, what, do, what do you guys do in, in those situations first thing you have to do is identify what aspect of the job they are struggling with because as we've said being a middle leader is complex and it can just feel like everything's going wrong when it is just one thing when it is one relationship with a classroom teacher that isn't as productive as it could be or they are overloaded with work relating to I don't know book scrutinies or whatever whatever it might be that the senior leadership team has decided is part of their job so first thing identify what it is that isn't quite working and link to that is make sure that the thing that you are identifying is genuinely the underlying issue because I've been a middle leader who has said that x is going wrong and I don't want to be doing this role anymore because of x when actually it's something else so yeah work out what aspect it is and make sure you're looking at underlying causes in terms of generally supporting there's also in a lot of cases where people are exceptionally struggling it can often be a lack of time workload so check that that isn't what's what the problem is and make sure that subject expertise is being developed because again, that can often be an underlying issue. A bit of a hodgepodge of stuff there, but I, I hope some of it is useful. Kind of builds on what I, what I was talking about in my What You're Reading For at the beginning. It's that, what Josh is saying about that deeper diagnosis, that, that's what it is. It's like, it's, it's getting in right under the skin of it. Like, what, what is it that they're struggling with? Like, and being able to, you know, I guess I was thinking from, from a coaching perspective, if, if, if you're trying to coach them, to mentor and coach them to be better uh, middle leaders, then you almost kind of need to think of that. I, I guess you probably would need to think of a, of a change sequence for them, wouldn't you? You know, in terms of like it, that, that, that thing I out, that Josh outlined in the beginning in terms of teacher knowledge, teacher action, subject knowledge. Well, it's probably just shifted up a bit. Isn't it? It's like senior leader knowledge, senior leader action, you know, middle leader knowledge, middle leader action. And I would imagine that might be able to be applied. Now, I'm, I'm 
purely you know sort of speculating here but it seemed to me that seemed to I seemed to hear that in my head when Chris was talking about how you actually you know bring about that change for them and, and help identify what it is that they are struggling with difficult stuff there so quite like you know tricky on the ground stuff but this is it isn't it this is the this is the reality of what genuinely developing middle leadership is all about it's this push and pull of uh, of things but but again comes down to this deep diagnosis of of, of what really is uh, is going on agree with that entirely and i think you have to be very 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 sure of yourself before you start to have that conversation with a middle leader about whether the role actually was right for them that said if you're a middle leader right now and you're listening to this and you've been doing the role for a long time and it just doesn't feel right don't feel like you have to stick with it careers don't work with this constant upward trajectory and they don't need to you know an episode wouldn't be an episode with me on it without me mentioning my partner Sylvia and yes this is secondary but she became a uh, phase leader excellent at it from from what she says though she's bound to but didn't like the role particularly just didn't find it gratifying didn't find that she liked the distraction from her classroom teaching so she became a classroom teacher again she does other things she's a mentor and this sort of thing but she never she never looked back she didn't regret going into that um she didn't regret taking the chance in that middle leadership role but nor did she regret giving it up and she might go in that direction again in the future but there's a tendency i think with steps into middle leadership steps into senior leadership to feel like changing role or moving back into a, a position you've had previously is somehow failure and that's something i think we really have to get past as a profession it's really good that the word prudence keeps coming up in the MPQs, because I think the more senior leaders who are being prudent and who are taking a slow and measured approach to school improvement, the better off we'll all be, you know, teachers, leaders, pupils. Then Lloyd, you were talking obviously about a model and the ways in which we can sort of display what effective middle leadership looks like. Much like the, some of the worst examples of teaching, you know, where a novice has interpreted what they've seen and then tried to replicate it with an untrained eye. I think some of the worst examples of leadership come from the same situation where you see someone else lead. You don't fully understand what they've done or the decisions they're making. And then you try to copy it. And, you know, sometimes it can be quite dangerous when that happens you know when there are no fail safes in place for that um, that ineffective leadership and so i think as senior leaders being very clear about what leadership is is essential and for me you know an introvert who believes that you can get every single teacher or everybody who wants to be a teacher able to teach I'd probably extend that to everyone who wants to lead, could lead, because I equate leadership to influence rather than a set of behaviours that may be quite prominent, certainly in the world of business, potentially in the world of education as well. And so I think it's okay. Leadership is the ability to influence the behaviour of others towards some sort of positive 
outcome or desired outcome. And it's been really clear about that. And then doing the things we've said that will help you get there. I think that's how we support those who are perhaps struggling because it might not be capacity. It might just be where they are on the novice expert continuum. And I think there's just as much of a continuum for leadership as there is for teachers, as there is for pupils. You know, these are psychological phenomenon that exist because we're human and it makes sense that they would exist at many levels of, of human interaction. So yeah, so that, that's what I would do. I'd take all of the stuff you guys have done and be really clear about what leadership is. And then that's your, that's your starting point for someone who's struggling to lead because they may just be copying what they've seen someone else do. I know when I started teaching, I would copy other people, not understand, and it would go disastrously wrong. It was only when I started thinking about what it was I wanted to achieve and how I could do that, that my practice started to change. And I think it's the same for leadership too. We set out looking for seven ways to support our middle leaders. How did we do, Chris? So the seven that we set upon were, first, you must give middle leaders the time that they need to do the job properly. Second, you need to have a a plan in place that spotlights elements of the curriculum, and that plan needs to be communicated with middle leaders so that they can see how how they play a part in a larger curriculum development plan as such. On a fundamental level, you need to ensure that from the beginning that you do have the right person for the job and that they were chosen because of the domain specific expertise that you felt they could bring to the role or that they could develop once they were in the role. You need to give your middle leaders a certain amount of freedom. And that means recognizing that they may do things in a way that you hadn't predicted. And sometimes that will be not for the best. And sometimes that'll be things that were so good that you never could have envisioned them. You need to have clear expectations in particular relating to what success in the role looks like. It can be helpful to when middle leaders first get the role to sit down with them and to ensure that you and they know how the relationship's going to work so that you know what things um, may that they might struggle with and how to tell if they're struggling because sometimes we don't you know like any person middle leaders might not signal that they're struggling in a way that's immediately apparent if you've not had these conversations and Finally, and arguably, most importantly, you need to make sure that you're supporting them in their development of that subject-specific expertise. Another fascinating chat. It's really good to be back in these sort of post-season chats. Massive thank you to everyone who's listening, especially to those who are supporting the podcast on Kofi, and you know, for whom there will be some clips, you know, I text from this episode available, I think perhaps in March, definitely in April. All I said to say is thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Lloyd. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. And to everyone at home, until next time, thanks for listening. (laughs) I almost forgot what I was supposed to say there.